attention deficit hyper disorder. Hyperactivity, just so you know. Oh, hyperactivity. Yes, hyperactivity disorder. Okay, that I didn't know. So that's good to know. So attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Okay, and this is most commonly heard in children is usually what we think of, but it's becoming more and more common in adults. And we're going to touch on childhood ADHD, but our primary focus is going to be on ADHD in adults because more and more adults are getting diagnosed with it. So let's start out by defining what attention deficit hyper disorder is or what it looks like, I guess. Okay. So historically, Oh, years ago, they used to separate them. And people may be familiar with the term ADD, which is attention deficit disorder, as opposed to ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And so what they did is they combined them all. And so the only term that we really use nowadays is ADHD. And there are three different types that you can be diagnosed with. Uh, The first is inattention. So that would be kind of the old ADD then impulsivity and hyperactivity would be a second characteristic, which would be the ADHD. And then the third is a combination of those two, of the inattention and the hyperactivity. So here are some symptoms of inattention. The person makes careless mistakes, lacks attention to detail, is unable to have sustained attention in tasks or play activities, is a poor listener, fails to follow through on tasks or instructions, difficulty with organization, avoiding tasks that required that require sustained mental effort, easily distracted and forgetful in daily activities. Then you compare that with symptoms of hyperactivity or impulsivity, fidgets, taps hands, squirms in your seat, leaves the seat in situations. So this is a lot of what happens in school. Mm-hmm. Um, although even with adults, I've been with adults who have this and it's hard for them to maintain, you know, sitting in the seat while you're having a conversation. They get up, they wander around. Excessive running, climbing, feelings of restlessness, difficulty with quiet or leisure activities, often on the go, almost like they've got this internal motor that won't mm-hmm. stop. Excessive talking, Blurts out answers before questions are even completed. And that's just an inability to stop that reaction. You know, it's like, okay, I can't stop this. I'm going to have to blurt out the answer. Okay. Difficulty waiting turn interrupts or intrudes on others. And so those are some of the symptoms. As you said, you know, a lot of people think of this with children because it's often diagnosed. Well, probably most often it's diagnosed in children I don't know that it occurs any more often in adults. I think it's being diagnosed better. I think that people are more aware of it because there really isn't anything that I can see that would change, except I have heard this, that possibly some environmental factors are at play here. Like, you know, some of the chemicals we ingest, some of the, you know, the air pollution, things like that. I have not seen anything that is says this is the way it is. But I think that the most likely answer is that people are more aware of it and they're being diagnosed better. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting because as you're reading those symptoms, that sounds like children in general. (laughs) Well, okay. I think you and I were talking, you know, as we were preparing for this. And it's one of my complaints about the diagnosis of ADHD in children. 
because children are naturally that way. They're fidget. They have a lot of energy. And the type of school system we have doesn't work that well with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if this is true where your kids go to school, but over time, as budgets have been cut, one of the things that they start to cut out is recess. Which is a problem. And, well, because kids need to get that energy out. Yeah. And I don't know that any kid is that good at, you know, sitting still or being that focused. And, and I think teachers do a wonderful job. I'm, this is not oh, yeah. meant to be a negative thing on teaching, but I think that often they're so frustrated that it's hard to control the classroom. And one of those problems is the classrooms in a lot of places now are so large Mm -hmm. that, um, I mean, I think it exacerbates the problem. I mean, if you had a classroom of 20, the teacher would be better able to handle and control that type of um, activity, right? But if you've got 30, 35, or 40 kids in a class, that's too much. that becomes unmanageable. And so I think what happens is often the teachers are the first place where they say, maybe this kid has ADHD or Mm -hmm. you ought to get this kid evaluated. And so that's what generally starts it. But the other complaint that I have is if there's something going on in the home and it doesn't necessarily need to be trauma in the home, or if there's some sort of upset, say there's something going on between the parents or some sort of uh, discord, maybe the parents are getting a divorce. Or it could even be that one of the parents is ill or has a, you know, has kind of a chronic illness. The very first thing to go in kids is the ability to focus or attend. Mm -hmm. And I think often the mistake that we make in diagnosing young children with this is that we don't look at what's going on in the home and we really should. And I think this is still the case as far as diagnostic criteria is that this has to exist in multiple locations. And often it's the case it doesn't exist at home and it only exists at school Mm, where they're required to focus. And so that ought to be a big red flag to people that uh, because Technically, you know, diagnostically, it has to exist in multiple environments. Mm -hmm. And often that's not the case. And I think it's really easy just to to say, okay, I'm going to put this kid on meds. Now, it's true that I think the meds can be helpful. Yes. Very helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like most medications, there are drawbacks to the med. Yeah, be careful of. And it used to be the case. And, you know, I'm not up to date on the new meds. But it used to be like with Adderall that it would stunt your growth, you know, Mm -hmm. as as far as kids. And so often you would hear families talk about having a a vacation from the meds. One of the positive things about those meds is that you can stop them and start them. So, So, for instance, you can take off a weekend. You know, a lot of families might do that. Or you can take off the summer because they aren't needing to focus. But um, I think that we need to be more careful with our diagnosis of ADHD in children and really look at what's the environment in which they're coming from. Yeah, I agree. And I like what you said about it has to happen in multiple environments because kids are naturally active. They naturally want to, you know, get up and move. They naturally don't want to sit still and they naturally struggle with impulse. That's part of our jobs as adults is to help them, to guide them and to teach them. When I think it becomes a problem is when after you've corrected them or you said, hey, this is 
the way we need to act or, you know, your behavior right now isn't appropriate. You need to be doing this. And they still can't seem to help themselves. Then it's a problem. And I have experience with this with my oldest daughter. Her whole life, she's struggled with focus. Like she's just, she's very much had a hard time focusing. She doesn't want to sit. You know, she just, she's always been very, very busy which could just be her personality. And in fact, she qualified for an IEP or I had her tested early because originally my concerns stemmed from speech. I was worried that her speech was delayed and I had her tested and they said, well, her speech is a little bit delayed, but what's really a problem is her inability to focus. She's in like the 99th percentile. So it's really severe. And so she qualified for preschool, like right after she turned three and she turned three in November. So she had almost three years of preschool going into kindergarten. But I asked them a few years later, I said, well, you know, do we need to be concerned about ADHD? And I appreciated the response. And they said, well, we don't really look at diagnosing that until around third grade. So right now she's too young. And I said, oh, okay, I love that because she's a kid, she's very active, and it's something that Curtis and I have talked about, and we have always said that unless it's affecting her ability to learn, it's fine. Even if she was diagnosed with ADHD, if her grades are fine, if she's learning, if it's not, if she's coping, then we're not worried about it at all. Let her be. And so recently at her last parent-teacher conference meeting, her teacher said she's doing very poorly in school. She's not focusing. She's not getting anything done. Her grades are suffering. She is testing consistently very low. And I said, okay, do we need to look at ADHD? And she said, I think that would be helpful. I think it would be good to have a conversation with this about the doctor. And so I talked to her personally about it. And I told her, you know, this is what's going on. We need to do some extra work to help you get to where you need to be. And she said, well, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. And I said, and I'm glad to hear that. And I know you are, but you're really far behind and we have to help you catch up. And this conversation with her happened a couple of weeks ago. And since then, she's actually been doing a lot better. She's been focusing and her test scores have improved. And so at that point, I said, okay, I still want to evaluate her for ADHD, but I don't want to put her on medication because, you know, if she's able to cope, then, you know, that's fine. And so I did meet with her doctor about it and we're in the process of getting her tested and it's interesting, too, because when I first talked to you about this, Mark, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about doing this episode, I was really surprised to hear you say, well, just try the medication. I yeah. was kind of... I was because kind I'm of, kind of anti-med. You <laughs> really are. And so this, I... You'll know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I was really surprised. And so I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, if this, if she really is doing this poorly in school, and her teacher said that if I assign 10 things in a day, she'll only get through one. And I said, okay, that's a big problem with yeah. focus. And if it's really this much of a struggle, then we'll medicate if it's really that hard for her. But since we've talked to her, I think we've been able to internally motivate her because she is so externally motivated. And so I think we've been able to internally motivate her more. And she's made progress that I said, okay, I'm going to hold off on the medication, but we're definitely going to get her evaluated for it because if she does have ADHD, I want to have all the tools and all the resources to help her be successful. And I think that's the way parents should approach it. 
Right. And I, you know, I am glad to hear that they're waiting. You know, they said, well, no, we'll wait till third grade. That seems more appropriate to me. Yeah. But I want to just clarify for listeners that, yes, I tend to be fairly anti-med for most mental health issues. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason I'm not with this particular medication is especially in adults. I don't have really any experience with children, but with adults, Mm -hmm. it makes a huge difference. I have seen it. I have seen it change uh, people's lives. And um, the way I understand it, you know, you can, if it doesn't work or if the side effects are too much, then you stop taking it, which isn't true. Say if you had an antidepressant or something like that, you have to be very careful about how you start and stop it. And so the reason I'm a a bit pro-med on this is that uh, you can stop it. And so you just Mm -hmm. have to be aware of the side effect cost, which there will always be one, but if it helps focus, it can really change a person's life. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's really what it comes down to is the fact that it's easy to stop. Whereas I know firsthand from personal experience, how incredibly difficult it is to stop any sort of antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. And it alters your brain chemistry in a big way. And I agree very much with your push in terms of anxiety and depression, that there is a time and a place for medication, certainly. But I think it's so important to try natural methods before you resort to the medication. So let's get into Daniela's story. And I teased this at the end of last week's episode. So she's writing from Melbourne, Australia, which still just tickles me that we have a listener from Australia. That's <laughs> yeah. still just so exciting to me. So she shares this experience from her husband. And I'm going to read um, just a couple of paragraphs verbatim. So I get this right about her experience with her husband. So she says, my husband was recently diagnosed with ADHD. He just turned 38 years of age and he is currently going through medical trials to find the best medication that he feels will help him best. I'm still struggling understanding ADHD in my husband as I relate to many of his symptoms and behaviors. And she puts in parentheses, I could be wrong. He can quickly jump from one topic to another or tasks. He has poor self-control, all or nothing, including food. He races... Thoughts, he interrupts during conversations or changes the topic quickly. Other times, he seems easily irritable, tends to depress often, and sleeps approximately four to five hours every night. I would love to listen to Dr. Burton's opinions about the topic, maybe provide some tools on how family and friends around the person living with ADHD can be more supportive and truly understand the disorder. So she gives a little bit more information in a separate email, and I want to read that as well. So she says, here are some more details about my husband's diagnosis. While talking to his psychiatrist, he pointed out that his premature birth also contributes to the disorder. My husband says that after his diagnosis, everything makes sense, which has been a relief and stressful at the same time. I wonder how many adults live with ADHD without knowing, and if my husband could have had a childhood with ADHD, or if it was only triggered during adulthood, which I think brings up a really interesting point because I never used to hear about adults with ADHD. And I'm wondering if it used to be that, you know, once you got through school, maybe they had you stop taking the medication or once you became an adult, they said, okay, you've outgrown it and they've had you stop. I'm wondering if that happens or if it's like, okay, you've got ADHD, 
you know, you're on medication for life or, you know, well, if there's yeah, an in-between. Yeah, I think I think it's different for every person, mm -hmm. but the um, premature birth weight is certainly a risk factor for having ADHD because so, there's something different in the brain. So that part makes sense. But mm -hmm. that being said, I would think he would have had it from birth. Okay. That it's not something that then somehow changes as an adult or gets mm -hmm. triggered. It's, here's the thing about, this is my experience with people with ADHD. It's more in terms of relationships okay. because that's a lot what I do. And so that's what mm -hmm. Daniela is really asking about. Yeah. And so I think that it is possible that a lot of these symptoms only become problematic mm -hmm. in the context of an intimate relationship. Okay. And so if we look at the things that she went over these, but I'll go over some of them that make it difficult to sustain a relationship. And I have certainly seen this in my office. And so they have difficulty paying attention. And a lot of what we want is to focus and have an intimate conversation with our partner. Right? And I don't know how often you and Curtis do that. It's not like we're doing it all the time, but you want right. to be able to really focus and let the other person know that you're paying attention. And that becomes incredibly difficult. And so the partner without ADHD often feels ignored or unimportant because the other person, you know, the fidgeting you're getting. So you're in the middle of a conversation mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you get up and walk around and you go do something else. And it feels very much like you're unimportant. Mm -hmm. And so the, the other part is having, you know, say discussions about, well, here are future plans. Often the person with ADHD misses key details and they also might agree to do things and then later on forget, mm -hmm. oh, I agreed to do this. And so it does become problematic. And, you know, a week later, you're supposed to be in an event or something's supposed to happen. And the person with ADHD is going, oh, I forgot about that. When they had the conversation and they both were there. And so if you can imagine over years of that happening frequently, how difficult that would be in a relationship, mm -hmm. right? If you, because in a way it makes it very hard to count on the person with ADHD to follow through. Yeah. So yeah. the other, the other like impulsivity, mm -hmm. you know, often they're impulsive in what they say. So yeah. You know, and they could make inconsiderate remarks. They don't think about it. It just comes out. They make expensive purchases, things like that. So here, here's my story about impulsivity. And sadly, I think this, I'm chuckling because even as I visualize what I'm going to tell you, it's amusing to me. But this couple actually ended up getting a divorce because it was way too hard. So the male has ADHD. They're doing some sort of yard work. And in the backyard is one of those, it's a digger. What, I don't know what the- Excavator the name, maybe? Some machine that's going to mm -hmm. dig. And so this guy, he obviously has never been on one of those machines, right? Okay. And he makes this impulsive decision. Oh, I should get on and drive this machine. This is like after work. So there are no workers there, mm -hmm. but I guess they left the key in. So he gets on, he turns on this machine and whatever he does, he damages the house. Because this oh, no. thing, you know, so you've got this big- bucket thing, you know, yeah. swinging around. He has no idea what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And that is an impulsive decision. Hmm. And so that the impulsive decisions like buying things, saying things that are, you know, not well thought out, that is pretty common. I hear that a lot. 
But if you put that, you know, try and imagine yourself with Curtis and if he's doing that, how difficult that would be. Then the other thing, emotional outbursts. And this is one that I think a lot of people don't really associate with ADHD. I think they're more prone to emotional outbursts and that can lead to arguments or hurt feelings. They struggle to discuss issues calmly and are more likely to lose their temper. Now, that's another experience I've had with couples. I'm going to mention a psychiatrist who is in California, I think in the LA area. His name is Daniel Amen, and you spell the last name A-M-E-N. And he believes, I think there, there are seven different types of ADHD, and he bases that on brain scans. Now, I want to emphasize that in the medical world, a lot of people consider him to be on the fringe. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have something worthwhile to say. It's just I don't think you should take whatever he is saying as, you know, the gospel of ADHD. But he has some interesting ideas. And one of his ideas is that in order to get that stimulation in the brain, that some people with ADHD are more prone to argument. They create an argument. They create a fight because they're getting that brain stimulation hmm. by doing that. And, and I have certainly seen that where the partner comes in and says, you know, my partner's picking a fight all the time and it doesn't make any sense. You know, what's the reason they're picking the fight? And I think that that is a real thing for many people with ADHD is they tend to pick fights. You know, it's not like they're consciously saying, okay, I'm going to pick a fight because I'm going to feel better. It's that it's a very unconscious thing because, you know, they feel better or that brain gets stimulated when they do it. And I think it becomes more of a habit. Mm -hmm. So it makes relationships very, very difficult, I think. Yeah, I can imagine. And so one thing I want to hone in on for a minute in this email is where she says that he sleeps approximately four to five hours every night. That's a red flag for his health, like his overall health. I mean, is that common with ADHD or is this something that maybe he should be looking into separately? Because, I mean, we both know sleep is crucial for overall health. I would say I think it's common with ADHD because I've seen that in other couples. And so is it a problem? Yes, it's a problem. We talked about how that lack of sleep or disrupted sleep is certainly part of most mental health issues, anxiety Mm -hmm. and depression. There's almost always that component. And I think I've mentioned before that one of the first things that you want to do is to try and re-regulate the sleep. Mm-hmm. So if I were he, I would talk to his primary care provider mm-hmm. about what he might be able to do to get more sleep. Yeah. And I think that is going to be critical, really important. So one of the other reasons that I'm recommending Daniel Amen is that a lot of what he certainly is into medication because he's a psychiatrist, but he is very big into diet. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to talk about diet. And I think Daniela, she mentioned something that her husband makes poor choices or impulsive choices with food. Does she say what kind of food? Does she go into that detail? So she said that he has poor self-control, all or nothing, including food. So my guess would be is that if he decides that he wants to eat something or if something is put on his plate, he feels like he has to eat all of it. Okay. 
that, I mean, that would be my guess. But again, I'm totally reading between the lines here and I could be way off. But I think you're totally right about diet. I mean, what we put into our body really matters. It is really important. And so here's some of the things that I think people should consider if you want to go a more natural route. And that would be a high protein diet. There's a lot of research that supports the benefits of a high protein diet, you know, mm-hmm. beans, cheese, eggs, meat, nuts, those types of foods. And the other thing that I have read is that eating those types of foods often helps the effectiveness of the medication if you're on medication. Okay. More complex carbohydrates, you know, vegetables, fruits, oranges, tangerines, things like that, whole wheat, things like that, again, are more complex carbohydrates. More omega-3 fatty acids. There's certainly a lot of evidence out there that generally speaking, we ought to be eating more omega-3 fatty acids, which comes mm-hmm. from fish, generally tuna yeah. and salmon and other cold water white fish. There are nuts that are good, walnuts, Brazil nuts, olive and canola oils, things like that. There are plenty of supplements. I take omega-3 every day. I get mine from Costco. They have a pretty good brand mm-hmm. of omega-3. But here's the thing. It's not only do you include these things in your diet, it is what should I avoid? Now, I have seen people with ADHD really load up on candy and Mm. sweet things, which are not complex carbohydrates or simple carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And so I think that maybe it gives them that burst of energy and they're trying to get that focus. I mean, if you think about a stimulant, Mm -hmm. a stimulant is doing it in a specific way that tends to work, but I think you know, possibly they're trying to get that stimulant through the candy. So here's things you should avoid. Simple carbohydrates, honey, sugar, products made from white flour, white rice, potatoes without the skins, and, you know, candy and corn syrup, as I've said. So I I think that there are certainly things that we can do to pay more attention to what we eat. Now, I'm going to mention another podcast, and I can't remember if I've mentioned Andrew Huberman before. I think I might have. So Andrew Huberman, H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N, is a neurobiologist and ophthalmologist at Stanford University, and he has his own podcast. I think it's called Huberman Lab Podcast. Mm -hmm. He has a specific episode, and it's called How Foods and Nutrients Control Our Moods. And so he's very big on the research and the brain chemistry and what's going on when we eat these certain foods and what it's doing to our brain and how that affects our moods. So I would suggest to well, to most listeners, if they're interested in how uh, nutrition affects us, but I think especially people with ADHD, I think there's more we could do in diet mm-hmm. and exercise. I certainly think exercise is going to be important. We don't know, you know, Danielle's husband, we have no information as far as what that's like. The one thing, you know, we do mention meditation. Mm-hmm. That is the one thing that I think is almost impossible for Interesting. Yeah. people because it's very hard for them to sit still and to focus. Mm-hmm. You're asking them to do the very thing they find the hardest to do. So if there was any way that could happen, I think it would be great. I think what can be done, though, is taking walks, mm-hmm. you know, having a good exercise regimen where you're out in nature. I'm a really big believer in 
getting out and nature and oh yeah and, so we're talking about Danielle in Australia I always picture Australia as a beautiful country mm-hmm. um, I've never been there so I don't know but that's how I picture it yeah so I think getting outside walking eating right eating mm-hmm. well getting exercise and then trying to figure out how he can re-regulate his sleep and he mm-hmm. may need the help of his physician to do that although you know Andrew Uberman has another podcast specifically on sleep that might be helpful. And he does that with a gentleman from UC Berkeley, a sleep specialist. His name is Matthew Walker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can also find, I think Matthew Walker has his own things on the internet where he talks about sleep. So he is a sleep specialist. Okay. So I think getting more information about sleep can be really helpful and changing okay. some things make a real difference. When I've done that, because as one gets older, often sleep becomes more disrupted. And I was waking up and couldn't get back to sleep. And so I was getting very little sleep. I added, well, I did two things differently. Okay. I walk in the evenings for a half hour, not exercise walk, but just a a walk after dinner. And I forced myself to stay up till 10, which I, I used to go to bed earlier. And doing those things has changed my sleep. So I think... That, you know, if you explore what are the options, what are some things, try some things out. Mm -hmm. But I strongly suggest for Daniela's husband and others is re-regulating your sleep and getting getting good sleep. At least seven hours is critical. Yeah. So as we've gone throughout this episode, uh, I've come to a conclusion. What's up? I have ADHD. Okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, Good to know this. <laughs> so, and, and it's interesting because as you're describing all of these relationship problems that you run into, I can't help thinking, man, Curtis is a saint because I, <laughs> I, I feel like, wait, was, was I talking about you? <laughs> yeah, not Curtis, me. Oh. I was like, I do all of these things and you know, some of them I'm better at and some of them not, but I mean, I can't tell you how many harebrained schemes that I've come up with and, and in my mind, I'll think about them, you know, for a little while, but then all of a sudden I'll just decide, okay, I'm going to act on it. And I told Curtis like, Hey, I'm doing this. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> this is totally out of left field. Um, actually it's how my podcast came to be. <laughs> <laughs> So well, that was a good thing. Some things are it, good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And it's and it's not that I always go through with all of them. I mean, I can think of one time I decided that I wanted to get into massage therapy. And uh-huh. so I started looking into it. I set up a meeting to meet with someone about it at a, at a massage therapy school. And I told Curtis, so I did something crazy and impulsive. And he's like, oh, great. How much is this going to cost me? <laughs> Um, anyways and so and it was kind of the same thing with the podcast i didn't tell him about it until after i'd already emailed you and he and he kind of looked at me like okay what's this crazy thing you've come up with now and of course once we got started on it and once you said you know you're actually interested in doing this he's been really supportive of it and he really enjoys me doing this podcast and it's a good thing so i'm gonna make a comment to you about meds for you I would not get on meds unless it really, the ADHD really negatively affects your life. It Mm -hmm. seems to me, I I know you a little bit. It seems Mm -hmm. to me like it doesn't really negatively affect your life. Is that true? Yeah. Well, it doesn't negatively affect my relationship. And I think it's because, I mean, one, Curtis and I, we invest a lot into our relationship. And so it's really solid. And also, I mean, 
Curtis is just awesome. <laughs> but <laughs> where there are issues of my life that I think it does negatively impact. And I think back to when I was in school. So when I was in high school, I worked really, really hard for even a B in some classes. And mm -hmm. I was thrilled when I would get a B because I worked really hard. And there are times where I definitely do have a hard time focusing. I think I've told you this before, and I just call it this really cool ability that I have that I can read an entire page and not take in a single word. Well, okay. That's one way to describe that, but I think it can also be frustrating. So, but yeah. I, I think that meds are important if it will improve your life. And right. as I said at the start, I have seen this happen. Mm -hmm. It's mostly with men that I've seen that happen and it's changed their life. You know, they've been diagnosed yeah. later in life and they've been able, they've become more confident, uh, their relationships improve and they become more successful at work. So. Yeah. And I think it's something that I might consider when I decide to go back to school. I think that's something when yeah. I might look into it because learning is always, it's always been a struggle for me. And a lot of times it's because, you know, I have such a hard time focusing. And even when I'm interested in something, like if I'm listening to something or if I'm listening to another podcast or if I'm reading a book, I'll have to go back and reread a lot because my mind wanders. And if I'm not interested in the text, but I know I need to do it or I, or even if I want to, but it's just not that captivating to me. I have the hardest time focusing. So, I mean, it doesn't terribly negatively impact my life right now, but if I ever go back to school, I think it's something I yeah. would consider. The other area that I might say that it negatively impacts is the impulsivity with food and particularly sweets. I feel mm -hmm. like I have real, a really hard time controlling impulsivity in regards to candy. Like, well, you see, I think there's something in that, that the sugar is going to give you a mm -hmm. spike in energy. And yeah. I think maybe often that's what we're after. Yeah, I think so too. All right. So next week we are going to dive into meditation and we're going to talk about what that looks like in the different types. I feel like it's a fairly broad subject or it can be. It is. That's why I think maybe we should spend some time on it because it is a fairly broad topic. Yeah. And it might not be what people think it is. Think it so. Is. Yeah. All right. So stay tuned for that and we will see you all next week. Have a good week, everyone.